The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning, this is Carol Bossert. Thank you for tuning in to Museum Life today. Uh, I have a great guest for you. I know you're going to enjoy uh, this program. You know, for the last few weeks, we've been uh, talking a lot about existing museums and issues in uh, museums who were trying to either reinvent themselves or reinvigorating themselves but and so I thought it would be great uh, to talk about what it takes to really start a museum from scratch and uh, I was very fortunate last week to actually get to visit uh, the new lab actually uh, at the for the Children's Science Center in Fairfax, Virginia and talk with our guest today. Uh, Nini Spivy gave me a great tour of their new facility and as you will learn today that is only one milestone in a larger plan but they've got some fabulous fabulous things going on and have great lessons for us all to learn. So without uh, further ado Nini Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Carol. Uh, Nini, if you would, I clearly, uh, other than saying that that you are the executive director for the Children's Science Center, uh, would you please tell everyone a little bit about your career trajectory, which I find absolutely fascinating, uh, particularly uh, all of the different areas of your experience that you are now sort of bring all of that is bringing uh, to bear on this new project. Sure, sure. Well, I certainly think I have a non-traditional path or perhaps a fairly circuitous path to uh, finding myself uh, as a a chief executive of a a museum. Um, Started out as an engineer, a systems engineer, and uh, really uh, I was very focused um, on, I have to say, you know, on making a living when I got out of college and... uh, I picked engineering, um, and I found that I really wanted to do more. And so I went back to school to get my business degree. I got my MBA. I really wanted to uh, 
find a way to be running a company. I guess at the time I was thinking a company, and uh, uh, came out of business school and um, worked for a number of telecommunications companies in the uh, Northern Virginia DC area. And uh, I guess you know, as I was going along, I realized I wasn't making. Uh, I didn't feel I was making a really material difference in in people's lives. I mean, everyone needs phones. But it uh, didn't feel like my contribution in the telecom industry was really um, doing enough. And uh, I'd always envisioned uh, creating some amazing new product or new service. And I liked that. I sort of liked the idea of being uh, innovative. And, and so I had done a lot of new product development in the telecommunications industry and a lot of uh, new business markets and launches. And, and that was great. But in the process, I became rather disenchanted with corporate America, and I, I found that um, I really needed to make a change. And so I, I said, you know, I, I really want to be in the nonprofit sector. I want to find a way to um, make a difference in people's lives. And I set about doing that. It's probably been uh, about 13 years ago that I or 14 years ago, so it's been a while since I made that shift. And uh, one of the organizations I got involved with, really on a pro bono basis, was a lovely little children's museum that was based in Washington, D.C., called Discovery Creek Children's Museum. And I hope somebody out there um, remembers uh, Sue Seligman and, and all the great things that she did there. So um, that's that's where I first got exposed, and I, I told uh, some of the team there, yeah, I'm looking for a nonprofit where I can get involved with uh, children or the environment or or women. These are the these are the issue areas I care about. And she said, Well, we've got all three. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> she um, she got me hooked in 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 the industry, I think, and. Uh, Meanwhile, I got involved in some other nonprofit capacities in our community and involved in the Junior League, uh, the Northern Virginia Junior League. And uh, not so long after, there was a local nonprofit that had just started that came to the Junior League and said, um, we want your support. We, we know that Junior Leagues have helped start children's museums all over the country, and, and will your Junior League help us? Here's our vision. And uh, we, we had... No children's museum or science center in Northern Virginia. We're a huge population. And uh, those of us on the board really loved this vision. And we made a commitment, like unlike any other that our league has ever made, we're a small junior league. And we committed a quarter of a million, to raise a quarter of a million dollars uh, in support of the project and to provide 500 volunteer hours a year um, to help get things started. So, uh, and that—that's sort of the beginning of the story. <laughs> wow, that—that's uh, amazing. And as I've—I've I've mentioned to you before, I—I th- I think it is uh, amazing. Isn't quite the word, but I guess I was shocked uh, to learn that Northern Virginia did not have its own children's museum. And so this does seem as if a group of people got together, realized that there was a uh, a need in their community, and uh, then did the did the right things in pulling that community uh, together. Now I know 
So you became, uh, you've sort of described how you first became involved in the Children's Science Center. Uh, and then I understand, uh, so you then, then went on to the board, is that correct? Yeah, that was actually, interestingly, five years later. <laughs> so it, it was um, quite some time that the project was underway, and I was uh, on my merry way with, um, you know, doing uh, projects for the Junior League, helping support Discovery Creek and, and a couple of other um, nonprofit endeavors. And, uh, it, you know, we were facing the um, really great recession that we had, great in the bad way, great. And... Uh, we recognized that the investment we were making in the Children's Museum in Northern Virginia, which had become the Children's Science Center by that point, that we were concerned as a junior league about that investment. So uh, at that point, I was the incoming president of the junior league, and uh, I really felt that uh, the, the vision was the right vision, um, but you know, we might need to help a little more than we thought we needed to to make sure this project really came to full fruition. And uh, so I became fairly involved um, before I even joined the board as I was um, becoming, taking on my year as president of the junior league. I, I said, well, I'm going to go to every single board meeting for the Children's Science Center, and let's, let's see what's going on and, and how we can help. And so I um, got, got very involved and, you know, helped uh, with business planning and a number of things. It's sort of hard to sit in a board meeting and not, you know, start raising your hand to help out. <laughs> so uh, a, a year and a half later then I did join the board of the Children's Science Center, and a few months later uh, the board chair uh, stepped down. And, you know, I don't know if it was one of those kinds of situations where, you know, will the new board chair please step forward and everyone takes a step back and you're the one standing there? Or <laughs> Perhaps that uh, is part of the story. Well, I would I would suggest that perhaps it was uh, uh, the right person at the right time. Uh, so it's uh, it's it, it, we've talked a lot on this show over uh, you know variety of of uh, times. It it always comes up. I mean, museums are uh, based on the strength of their convictions, uh, their leadership, and their board leadership. And so it's interesting that, that you've come in through through that area. And I, I, you know, while you say it's hard to sit in a board meeting and not raise your hand and want to help, unfortunately, I think we there have all been situations where you sort of wonder where everybody was. So, <laughs> it, uh, you know, I, I would not uh, just... Um, uh, it, consider that uh, something that that everyone knows i think uh learning how to be on a nonprofit board is uh is an art and a skill and and clearly a, a strong commitment uh to continue to see things through particularly as you say um shepherding things through that uh that recession in 2008 it was it was tough for museums uh, that were established and even those that had endowments for uh, something new that was just sort of trying to peek out under the covers, I can imagine that there were probably some disappointing moments. Oh, yeah. I think it's a miracle, really, that um, the organization survived it. There were other organizations that were trying to start the Children's Museum or Science Center in Northern Virginia at the time that that, um, did not survive uh, for various reasons. You know, maybe you don't just point it to the economy, but certainly 
makes it difficult. And uh, so, you know, sort of feel like we're the last great hope, maybe, for <laughs> Northern Virginia. And I'm, it's exciting to uh, be in 2015 now with, with an operating museum. That's great. Well, and I and I want to delve a little bit deeper as you and I have about you know children's children's museums. I think are very special organizations, and particularly when we talk about uh, who their community is and the issues of drive time and scalability. But but before I do, you know, before we go sort of in that direction, I'd like to like to sort of keep on with your linear story. So you were there, the board chair, and you were moving things forward and it sounds as if you know you were moving toward uh, uh, some financial sustainability and also some professionalism and you became the executive director yeah <laughs> surprise <laughs> Always an interesting uh, path also I, I guess I just uh, have all kinds of interesting twists and turns here but uh, uh, you know I don't think it's actually it, is, it may not be uncommon at least in the emerging museum world but um, certainly, um, it was time for us to shift from being an entirely volunteer organization to, you know, staff and volunteer organization. And we, um, we were really already delivering services. And so that was part of what, you know, provided that need and that impetus and that ability to start um, setting up staff. And so we had one thing that, you know, an ethic from... The junior league that we brought into the organization is um, is just being really mission focused, and so uh, we said, you know, we can be delivering on our mission now. You know, our mission is to actually it might have been a few different words than it is today, but you know, it remains basically the same: is to instill a love of learning, and especially in the STEM subject areas, in all children by providing really unique opportunities for them to explore, create, and be inspired. And we decided we didn't need walls to do that. We could, we could start doing that. We could take this idea of a museum without walls and, and more than just um, make it a, you know, a method of promoting our, our vision, make it actually educationally impactful on our community. And so we uh, really grew that Museum Without Walls program into a pretty significant uh, impact. Uh, I guess in 2010, we probably served about 3,000, and that was sort of the remnants of sort of the promotional-oriented Museum of That Walls. And then um, in 2014, we served 24,000 visitors with this program. So the growth was really phenomenal. And, and along that path, we actually had to, we had to have staff. <laughs> it just became more than, than could be managed uh, by all volunteers and out of the trunks of cars or, you know, spare storage rooms. You know, we had to evolve as an organization, and it was time to to put the staff infrastructure together, and our donors expected um, to see some strength um, and some evolution in the organization as well. You know, and that is one and only one of the things that I have found so admirable about your organization and the approach that you've taken. And I and I just want to pause for a moment and and emphasize, uh, particularly uh, for listeners who may be considering a. Uh, a, a embarking on a on a new museum uh, plan I think so often uh, it's easy to fall into the trap of looking for the you know the big goal being the building 
and everyone always talking about the future. You know, when we get the building, we'll be able to do that. When we get the X, we'll be able to do that. And in or, as you say, uh, using outreach only in looking at it through the lens of this marketing. Well, we'll get out there in the community so people know about us so that we can get the money to build the building. And you actually uh, said, no, we're going to focus our mission. Uh, we're going to do our mission as, as, as much as we can uh, out of the backs of, of uh, cars, and then you realized that you had to become more professional and more efficient, and uh, to become more successful. But I, you know, I, I, I just want to emphasize how wonderful uh, that that is, and how refreshing that is to hear. I'm sure it wasn't always easy. <laughs> it's not easy every day. <laughs> <laughs> But we, uh, you know, it, the reaction that we got was really wonderful, too. And that's really what, what keeps you going is, uh, you know, when you deliver your mission and, you know, you see um, the children and the families and the, the teachers um, and they're so excited and they want more and it sort of feeds on itself. And that's why, you know, focused on mission is really the most important tenet of nonprofit management. Well, and giving you then that opportunity to learn, uh, yes. learn about your community and, and learning what's working and what's not working. I mean, essentially, you created your own little R&D uh, program, which, again, that makes sense given your background as an engineer. Oh, yeah. Well, I, it, it happens rather naturally, yes, as you, as you go into operating and, and um working on delivering programs, you, you learn a lot and uh, you find uh, also that you do sort of take on some of the role that a museum with walls does take on, which is being a community connector. And, you know, we were able to connect, you know, kids with scientists and projects and, you know, that being that sort of core for the community's uh, learning with children and in the STEM subject areas, you know, you, even when you don't have walls, you know, you find yourself uh, falling into that, that role that the museums play that's so vital. I love that term, being a community connector. Uh, we have a lot more to talk about. Uh, Nini hasn't even begun to tell you about the more, most recent activities that are going on, the, uh, the lab uh, that has just opened, but uh, so that we don't interrupt that flow of conversation, I'm going to go ahead and take the first of our two breaks, so stay tuned. There is so much more to talk about. I just love talking to these about these case studies. I think that we can all learn so much from them, so stay tuned. There's so much more to talk about. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We will be back in a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. 
Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Are you ready for an Anything Goes hour-long foray into politics, pop culture, and societal tribulations? Then look no further than Between the Synapse with host Mark Tobin. Each show features nationally or internationally prominent guests discussing topics that go beyond the usual daily news, sometimes even way beyond. It's a weekly fast-paced hour that you won't want to miss. Call in to join the party. Between the Synapse airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and today I am here with Nene Spivey, who is the Executive Director of the Children's Science Center in Fairfax, Virginia, just right around the corner from me. And I've had uh, the wonderful opportunity to see and visit with Nene in her in the newest facility of the uh, iteration of the Children's Science Center. Before we went on break, Nene was sharing with us many of the things that that the uh, organization started to do before they had walls, before they had much of anything uh, other than a strong mission and a skeleton staff, but it has grown. And so, Nini, please share with us uh, the story behind creating a STEM learning lab in a local shopping mall. Yeah, we... um that definitely was not our on our strategic plan many years ago <laughs> when we were thinking about uh, where we would be. Um, and in some ways, now looking back on it, I think, wow, you know, maybe we, sh- you know, we should have thought of it sooner. What, a, what an interesting concept. Um, we have such a large vision for the future full-scale museum that um, we've we've come to learn that it it will take time. It'll take time to get there to. Um, build the size of facility that's needed for such a large populated area as Northern Virginia and the surrounding areas of D.C. and Maryland are. Um, 
And so we, we did recognize that some kind of a phased solution would be, would be useful, and we um, began to think about, you know, where we could do that and how we could do that. And um, somewhere along the line, uh, in all of our outreach to community leaders, um, we uh, were noticed by um, one of the area's large uh, shopping malls, and uh, they they came to us and said, you know, have you have you made a decision on where you want to be, and you know, would you consider being, you know, at our mall? And we thought, wow, that's interesting. And and this actually wasn't the mall where we ended up. <laughs> um, so you know, in in the course of going through that, uh, we we really thought, you know, that's a great idea. You know, there there's a lot of foot traffic. Um, it's a great way to build audience when you. Um, are in a location that's more of a destination or not really on the beaten path as sometimes an early site could be, uh, it's, it's a lot harder. So, you know, we, we really saw the merits in being in, a, in an environment where we would sort of have instant uh, visibility and foot traffic. It, it, you know, we felt that it would be that way. Um, and it, um, it made a lot of sense to us. Uh, so we... We uh, went down that path. It didn't work out with, with those that gave us the idea, but it worked out with another really great shopping center in our area at Ferrix Mall. And it's a, um, it's a particularly family-oriented mall. Uh, and just such a great fit for us. And, and the location we were able to get in the mall, being at a main entrance, um, is especially helpful and especially as we serve our school audiences and field trips, um, that they can just get right off the bus and walk right in. Well, and I, uh, I find you also have uh, external um, visibility. You have a sign outside of the mall building so people can find you. And then uh, there are windows into the, uh, the, one of the laboratories to sort of give people a peek uh, to see the kinds of things that were going uh, on in the, uh, in the science lab. You know, it re- reminds me, um, John Cotton Dana, uh, who was one of the uh, pioneers in uh, the museum field, uh, certainly was the founder. Uh, I know him very well because he was the founder of the Newark Museum, of course, in 1901, much earlier when, than when I worked there. But uh, he, he wrote prolifically about the museum field, and one of the things he always uh, want, focused on was that museums needed to be integral to their communities they needed to be not all you know not always in the city center particularly as but they needed to be where people lived and worked uh just like libraries uh there you know you can walk or you can bike or or take a short drive to your local library and therefore the library becomes an essential part of your community and so you know shop uh, since we live in these suburban areas, we don't have town squares. We have shopping malls, um, particularly when the weather gets bad uh, or if the weather gets too hot, we go to the shopping mall. So I think it's absolutely a fabulous uh, idea to put an educational facility uh, and community, as you say, a community connector in the uh, the heart of that uh, of that community. I think it's fabulous and it's beautiful. By the way, yes, yeah, we I I think it's um, 
you were mentioning that the windows in and what you could see when you're walking in the mall, and uh, we did feel quite a bit of pressure to have a a sophisticated storefront. Um, just being in the mall and the standards, we I don't think we understood how high the standards were of the landlord, but just looking around ourselves initially, we said, you know, we've got a uh, we've got to look as good as the Apple Store, right? <laughs> on on a shoestring budget, but uh, we've we, you know we've got to look um, we've got to look good. We've got to fit our surroundings, and uh, and then also in doing that, um, it's really I think special for the children because you know it's just for them. It's special and it's really cool. It makes science look super cool when you walk by. Uh, it's a head turner. Yes, and I noticed many people who perhaps weren't familiar with the Science Center or or any kind of museum or children's museum, perhaps it's not part of their their experiences as children, so as parents, it, it's not part of their uh, their experience. And but by being able to see it uh, from the outside, uh, looking in uh, to through the windows, they get a sense of what it might be like and can. Consider that this might be a good thing for their children. So I think it's a it's a, it's a way of breaking down barriers for people who have traditionally not gone to museums, and that of course helps all of us. Um, Nini, I wanted to. We've sort of glossed over this, so I want to make sure that we don't. Um, you you alluded that when the you know in the very early early stages, perhaps you know before you were even uh, very involved with the with the uh, children's museum, uh, they you know perhaps were just a general children's museum or hadn't really focused on a content area and then it uh, during the the development of the project it has been decided that it it will focus on the STEM the science technology engineering and math uh, areas and I was just wondering if you might say a, a few words about why that decision was made uh, to focus uh, in that particular area and then how that has uh, uh, influence the, your development. Sure, sure. Um, as many emerging museums do, uh, there was a lot of time spent in talking with the community about what what they wanted. You know, what is what what do parents want? What do teachers want? What does industry want? Um, what do the kids want? And uh, ours here in Northern Virginia, our community, we consider ourselves a very significant technology center in the nation, and uh, uh, I guess in many ways it's only natural that the answers that were coming back were very much to focus on, uh, on STEM. And at the time, STEM wasn't really the acronym that it is today. <laughs> so uh, I, I was not on the board at that time. I was still um, just really focused in the junior league and other areas, but um, it was really a brilliant decision, I think, ultimately. I mean, not only does it fit with, you know, who we are, where we are, um, as, as children's museums should reflect their communities and their communities' needs. Um, but it also really was the beginning of what has become a very large wave of, of energy and focus and enthusiasm around STEM learning. And it's, it's really lifted up our efforts uh, phenomenally over the years. It, it made it a lot easier because we were uh, in a lot of people's swim lanes so to speak, you know, whether it was uh, corporate funders, private uh, individuals, families, um, it, it's, it was, it's become 
a rallying point for so many, and so it it, it was a good a good shift. Um, that said, you know we we you know at our very beginnings are a children's museum, and we have to preserve some of those needs, those basic needs to um, support children and families. Uh, so we're, we're really I consider ourselves very much a hybrid model of a children's museum and a science center. Um, I tr- try to you know, aspire to bring the best of both worlds together. Um, I've heard from a number of people in the industry that, you know, where we are, the space we're occupying is a space where um, more traditional children's museums and maybe some more traditional science centers are trying to go, um, you know, up or down the age ladder or content-wise. So I think uh, it worked out well for us. Um, uh, and, it, you know, for me it's a real sweet spot because, I have an engineering background. <laughs> I, uh, I remember being a child and getting excited early. Well, you know, one of the things um, I, that I noticed uh, that in, in one area, and uh, in a minute I wanted, want you to sort of paint a picture for all of the listeners about, the, uh, about this space, uh, but there is an area, to me it does, it is reminiscent perhaps of the Apple Bar, uh, where you can go, uh, you can do activities mediated by uh, 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 touch tablets, uh, but what I found so fabulous is in the course of, say, the hour and a half that you and I were talking and in the space, I saw instructors uh facilitating programming with, say, oh, I don't know, it was a school group of maybe 6th, 7th graders. And then I saw uh, another group come in that I think were a little younger than that, perhaps 4th or 5th graders. And then right when we were leaving, uh, the same instructor was facilitating a program with two moms and their uh, toddlers. So you really have identified something that I uh, I think can, can sometimes be prior Problematic, or at least people think that it's problematic about involving such an age range in science education. So, I, so you are doing some things uh, amazingly well. You know, it's it's something that has been a big goal for us, and so it makes me so happy to hear you say that and to have noticed that when you were there, uh, having programming that is um, impactful for ages two to twelve is a pretty big range. Children are really different um, in, in those years of growth. And uh, the experiment bar is the, the area you were speaking of, which um, is, you know, such a cool uh, exhibit area. And, uh, yeah, we have, we have toddlers there. We have um, teens there and, and everyone in between. And it's, uh, it is really magical to witness some of the different kinds of interactions that can happen at the experiment bar. Um, I have, you know, images in my mind of seeing um, some grandparents, or I think you know, maybe it was a grandmother uh, there with some little ones. Um, I've seen um, a mother uh, with, you know, a, I think there were maybe two or three girls, and this mom, um, she was using our tablet, and uh, but she uh, and she must have had a scientific background. But I was so impressed because she was really, um, you know, engaging the kids and helping them in this particular experiment of learning. And uh, you know, and then others where the kids are leading the way, right? Where the kids are like, you know, telling their parents how the experiment works. And 
to be able to create what we've called, a, and Carol, you'll have to correct me if I'm misusing this term, but this you know, layered learning where you can have learning that, that works for different ages and in different ways, um, that's, that's something that we've been after um, and happy to be making it happen there. Um, between the instructors and I think the tablets. And I know we'll talk about technology. I want to get back to that at some point. Yes. Uh, no, I, that's, a, that's a fine term uh, to use. I think, uh, the, you know, there's the terminology and then there's the actually doing it. And uh, one of the things that you have been able to create, you and your staff, are creating some very simple experiments that are timely, that are open-ended enough, uh, and that are scalable. And this is, uh, uh, this is not always so easy for people to conceive of, whether they're educators or whether they're scientists or whether they're both. Uh, so you, uh, and, uh, and then training your instructors to be able to facilitate uh, and help parents facilitating. I think all of these are key steps in identifying how you've you have really started to create something quite wonderful and and magical that people will remember you know they may not remember making the snow and the baggie but they will remember having sort of those those uh, enjoyable engaged moments with their their friends their parents their uh, uh, the people that that work at the the site so you're doing so many things Right. Well, I, I love um, that, you know, remembering the moment and the idea that um, you're planting those seeds of, you know, positive reinforcement around learning and around science, engineering, you know, all of these areas. Uh, I think that's so important. And I've always um, been, you know, imagining how it changes the community. So when we did our Museum Without Walls years ago, we met. Um, a young man, he was, uh, I think, an eighth grader, and uh, he was enjoying one of our activities. I think we were doing saltwater density. This was quite a few years ago. And, he, and oh, you must love science. You're just loving this. Oh, no, I hate science. <laughs> and we, you know, we had a wonderful interaction with him. Ultimately, um, he really had some misperceptions about what science is and what scientists do. And we happened to have had a a scientist volunteering with us that day. And so it was really ultimately a great story. But what, it, what I remember and think about most about uh, Jeremiah, as it was, is that maybe when we're doing this in our community over and over again for many years, and we're starting with kids when they're really young and they have that positive association, that they would never say, I hate science, because how could I hate science if I love the Children's Science Center? That's a that's a very good point. Uh, I want to talk more about um, uh, technology, as you said, and also uh, you were you've been involving children in the development of your program, your current programming, and your your planning for the the uh, future bricks and mortar museum. Uh, but 
we have to take our second break. So we are going to do that. And when we come back, uh, more with Nini Spivey and uh, all the great things that they are doing. And I know many of you who are in the D.C. metro area, Nini would be happy to uh, show you around. So uh, uh, contact her and uh, go out to Fair Oaks Mall and see what's going on there. But right now we're going to take our second break. We will be right back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and as you know, today I am talking with Nini Spivey, who is the Executive Director of the Children's Science Center in Fairfax, um, Virginia. They currently have a lab space uh, that actually has several uh, interactive galleries for uh, children 2 to 12 and their parents and their caregivers. Uh, It's a place you can go back uh, many, many times to get different experiences uh but nini that's not all right (laughs) no it's it's really uh in many ways feels like it's just the beginning for uh fulfilling what is our full vision um we have fairly big plans ahead of us we worked very hard um to secure some land to build a museum and uh, we have that land, and now we have the, the big job of, of uh, the funding and the planning uh, of that museum. We, um, we needed, really, a place like the lab, and I, I thought I'd just spend a moment 
sharing sort of what that concept is when we say a lab and why we call it the lab. So the, the Children's Science Center lab is what you would see on the sign. And the idea was that it's a lab in so many meanings of the word. It's a lab for children and families and school groups to come and experiment and tinker and explore. Uh, it's a lab for us, a place for prototyping. Uh, we can uh, learn about uh, our programs, our activities, what is effective, uh, what is less effective. We can even prototype exhibits in the space, which will be very exciting as we get further into the planning for the larger museum. And so it's really a, a lab for us, and it's a lab for our community. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to have that concept. Um, the bigger plan is, is a, a larger-sized museum that will better accommodate our large population here. So just to give an example, uh, the lab space, the Children's Science Center lab, is 5,400 square feet. Um, that's in its entirety, um, probably 4,000 of public space. It's, uh, it's not very big, especially when you live you know, in northern Virginia. It's a couple million people, over a half million children in our age range. Um, we have nearly 300 elementary schools in Northern Virginia. And for one elementary school and one grade level to come to the lab, depending on that size of that school, it can take two, three, or four days for all the kids in the third grade at um, you know, one particular elementary school to come through the space. And so you know, when we think of some of the great resources that are out there, um, science centers and children's museums that you know, can serve every third grader in their um, nearby county or in their region. We can't do that in this space. And we, we know it's not, um, it's, it's not enough uh, to meet the needs of the community on a, on a large-scale basis. Um, so we have land, and we will be embarking upon the great challenge of, of designing a, a phase build-out on that land that allows us to grow over time and as our audience grows and to fully meet the needs of our audience. Well, I, I that was such a graphic, uh, a great graphic uh, way of expressing the need. You know, having it, uh, even one grade in one school, it can take days uh, to serve them, and I'm I'm sure that that's a, a great way of expressing that need to uh, potential collaborators and and funders. Uh, before though, that we get to you know some of your your ideas for for phasing, I do. You have done some really interesting things to involve children now in the planning uh, for the new museum and. I was just so impressed with some of those ideas. If you could share a couple of those. Sure, sure. So a philosophy that's been long held in our organization, um, and again predates my leadership, is this philosophy that this museum is being designed and built for kids by kids, um, that we involve children in every step of the design process um, that we undertake for all of the work that we do. So even with our mobile programs that we continue, our community outreach programs, we have children uh, help us in thinking through, you know, what could be better or something new. Um, we have done annually for some time now a think day where we not only involve um, expert adults, uh, 
some of our advisors that are scientists and educators and engineers, but also children. They're part of the expert base, right? <laughs> and, uh, and make sure that, you know, we're, we're getting their input and we're getting um, a perspective from their view. Uh, we've also done this with um, museum design, exhibit design. Uh, some of my favorites for the future museum, we have a, uh, a gallery that is all about the universe. And uh, one of the input points and one of the, what's depicted even in one of our conceptual renderings is, was an idea of a young boy that said, well, you know, kids need to be using their imaginations when they go to the Children's Science Center, so I think you need a jetpack experience. <laughs> and so uh, we're, the design firm we're working with, they're like, oh, no, you can, you can do something like that. We're going we're gonna to draw that in there. So we've, that's one of my favorite examples um, from... Uh, one of our young participants, but they were I, really creative, super creative. I mean, oh, and when my, I have to tell one more, I can't help myself, but one more theme at least that I think is really interesting and telling and maybe those of you in the audience can relate to is so many children across different age levels and adults want to know about the brain. So we don't have our brain exhibit or our brain gallery, and I know I've seen some really cool ones out there, but um, this is, you know, they're, they're fascinated about, you know, how things work, you know, in our own bodies. And I can't wait to, to make uh, some of those ideas happen in the future. Well, I think, I think that that sounds, uh, that's another uh, great area that I'm sure the uh, design team can come up with some, some wonderful solutions. What I think is great, too, is that as I, I saw uh, some of the, uh, the results of these, like, think days where children were drawing their ideas or they were uh, presenting them on a computer screen, that while we talk about STEM as science, technology, engineering, and math, it also requires the arts. It requires communication. It requires design thinking. Uh, it res- uh, in curiosity, collaboration, uh, innovation, uh, reading, and so uh, you are. Even though your your focus is STEM, you are also involving the STEM plus A or STEAM philosophy as well, aren't you? Uh, you know, we are. I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of sticklers, and uh, our, we have a great director of education, Lorian Turgeson, and, and uh, you know, she would say, well, if you're doing STEAM right, it's much more involved than people. You know, you can't just say you're doing STEAM, right? right. So we've, uh, we feel we are um, doing a lot of things that um, are connected with the arts, and, uh, and we would like to do more of that. I mean, part of it is meeting kids where they are and where they like to be and the way they like to learn and express themselves. They're... They're there. Um, we learned that actually, you know, an interesting connector there, Carol, is during one of our sessions with children, um, we had uh, a group that really was fascinated with theater, and they just really felt that something in our science center should involve theater. And uh, we came up, this is a really faraway idea still, but, you know, just the beginnings of an idea for sort of a theater lab and understanding, you know, how technically how the theater works. Um, but, you know, we're trying to find ways to really meet our community and our children where they are. And um, even today, one of our really fun programs with youth, um, we have a youth leadership council, and they get involved in learning how to demonstrate scientific concepts. And we use a great program that came from the University of Wisconsin called Science Fusion Theater. 
and they're acting out little skits that are really fun, humorous, and, you know, includes at times singing <laughs> about science. And so uh, we love that. And uh, I think you can't, there's, there's no disconnecting the natural intersections of, of the arts with, with the sciences and learning. That's great, and I am sure that as you move forward and uh, continue to uh, work with your main audience uh, uh, and children, you will come up with some amazing innovations that will help the entire Science Center and Children's Museum community. So after you finish the lab and after you've built your building, I hope you start uh, uh, writing um, and publishing some of these great ideas. Uh, but but before we uh, leave, we're you know nearing the end of the show, but I, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the technology, the philosophy of technology and some of the technologies that you're using. Yeah, I think Technology is always a hard one, and there certainly are a lot of conference sessions about the subject in terms of, you know, how to best integrate technology. And as a parent, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to tell your kids to get off screens and, you know, monitoring screen time it was a big part of um, my challenges with my three kids um, who are 15, 13, and 10. So you can imagine I've, I've pretty much lost the battle, but um, it's, in the museum space, you know, it's sort of that, in the children's museum space as well, it's sort of that tension between, you know, again, wanting to meet kids where they are, where they're excited, they like technology, they like technology interfaces, and but then also wanting to give them experiences that, that aren't that, right? Because maybe there's not enough of that happening in their lives now with so much um, technology and screens. Um, we, what we found um, has been really... Uh, useful at the experiment bar is um, we are using, actually with the help of Amazon, Amazon donated Kindles to us, and we, uh, for each experiment, we create an ebook, and that ebook supports the experiment process, in particular when there's a parent and child, and, and it provides some of that scaffolding to support the learning and interaction. And so in each ebook, we feature information um, about the scientific method, about the key scientific terms involved in the um, experiment. I, you know, I think uh, recently we've been talking about osmosis. We talk about surface tension. Whatever the experiment is, you know, we're, we're getting those key terms in. Then the instructions for the experiment itself and also the connections to practical applications. So what professionals are using concepts that you're learning here in their work? Um, so the, that use of technology has been really, I'd say, a win for us. And it's also allowed us to um, do some rapid deployment because we roll off our experiments monthly. One comes on, one comes off, and it's, uh, you know, the technology enables that So um, between the digital signage and, and the tablets. Well, that's that's great, and uh, uh, thank you for sharing sharing that uh, perspective. I think it will help a number of, of listeners as they're striving with their own balance. Well, Nini, it has been just a pleasure uh, to talk with you today, and again, uh, I encourage everyone, if you're in the D.C. metro area, uh, well, first come see me, but also go out to Fair Oaks Mall and see Nini. Uh, th- Nini, thank you so very much for being on the show today. 
Thank you. It was a pleasure. And this is the last show for 2015. Uh, we will be rerunning uh, some of my favorite shows for the next two Fridays. I wish you all a wonderful holiday season, uh, enjoying time with family and friends. And I look forward to a wonderful 2016, both on the show and hopefully meeting so many of you, If I helping you with your exhibitions and uh, community outreach programs so I look forward to continuing our uh, relationships in 2016 and I will be back on the 8th to wish you a happy new year so this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life have a wonderful holiday season Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.